This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Examination and investigation today revealed that he has a tumor. All across Toronto and beyond, people were shocked and saddened by the news of Rob Ford's tumor. It should also be a wake-up call for Zoomers about the importance of regular screening. Cancer Care Ontario is launching a campaign to increase those screening rates, and today I'll learn more from Dr. Linda Rabinek, Vice President of Prevention and Cancer Control with Cancer Care Ontario. Plus, our federal government announced the first step in a national initiative on dementia research. There's $31.5 million from Ottawa and another $24 from Ontario and Quebec. Will it be enough to stem the disease that is reaching epidemic proportions? I'll talk to Mimi Lowy-Young, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Another Canadian mayor made headlines this week. Mississauga Mayor Hazel McCallion presided over her final council meeting on Wednesday. After 36 years on the job, the 93-year-old McCallion is not running for re-election next month. She's been the longest-serving mayor in Canada's history. She says her proudest achievements include protecting Mississauga's waterfront from development and keeping community centres, libraries and swimming pools in good shape. She also says she'll miss the job and her peers at council. I'm certainly going to miss it. I've loved dealing with the administration. 36 years, I can't remember any council meeting that turned into a disaster. Bill Clinton received some presidential grandfathering advice from George W. Bush. The two appeared together at an event for the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program. It's a partnership among the Clinton, Bush, George H.W. Bush, and Lyndon B. Johnson Presidential Centers. Clinton's phone went off during a presentation, and the two shared this. Only two people have this number. They're both related to me. I hope I'm not being told I'm about to become a premature grandfather. It's going to be an awesome period for you. And... um... Yeah, get ready also to be like the lowest person in the pecking order in your family. It's a new spin on an old adage, happy wife, happy life. A study published in the Journal of Marriage and Family finds that men who are unhappy with their marriage are still likely to be happy with their lives, but only if their wives are happy with the marriage. The study authors say wives' assessments of the marriage carry more weight than their husbands. The reason is because women typically provide more emotional and practical support to husbands than vice versa. So even an unhappily married man may receive benefits from the marriage that enhance his overall well-being. 
Consumers will remember dancing to music like this at the Old Mill. It's a Toronto institution and it's celebrating its 100th birthday. In 1914, on the first day of World War I, Toronto entrepreneur Robert Holmes Smith opened the Old Mill Tea Garden on the bank of the Humber River. It quickly became a popular spot among residents for entertainment and relaxation. A few years later, it became a hot venue for Toronto's big band concerts and dance parties. It has since expanded to include ballrooms, a jazz lounge that hosts some of the world's best performers, a boutique hotel, and most recently, a full-service spa. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, we were shocked by the news that doctors found a sizable tumor in Mayor Rob Ford's abdomen. The discovery is a reminder of the importance of early detection. The province's health authorities are on it. Cancer Care Ontario is launching an expanded mail initiative to increase cancer screening rates. It means Zoomers will be getting letters inviting them to be tested for breast cancer, cervical cancer, and colon cancer. Dr. Linda Rabinek is Vice President of Prevention and Cancer Control at Cancer Care Ontario. First of all, there's the Ontario Breast Screening Program, and that is for women 50 to 74 who are at average risk for breast cancer. For those women 50 to 74 who are at average risk, who aren't gene mutation carriers, it's mammography every two years. Right. And what are the other screening programs? The other two are cervical cancer screening, cervix screening, uh, and that's for women starting at the age of 21, and that's a pap test every three years. Mm -hmm. And then the colorectal screening program is for both men and women age 50 to 74, and Uh, that's uh, the stool uh, blood test, the FOBT or the fecal occult blood test. I'm a little confused, I have to say. Basically, everybody I know, they turn 50, they get a colonoscopy. Well, uh, there's a lot of use of colonoscopy in people that are at average risk in the province, but our screening program, which is called Colon Cancer Check, recommends the stool uh, blood test, the fecal occult blood test for people at average risk, and colonoscopy for the people with a family history. Okay, uh, so that other test, uh, it sounds gross, to be honest, but um, is it easier than a colonoscopy? Well, it's different from a colonoscopy. You you do it at home. You take some samples of your stool yourself, and it goes in a little kit, and you drop it off at the lab or mail it. There's a there's a prepaid mailer. Uh, the, of course, you don't have to come to the hospital or or a clinic, as you do with colonoscopy, and and certainly there's no prep and no no sedation. So it's a very easy at home test. If it's positive, then you then the 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 clear recommendation is you ought to have a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what what does it detect that particular test? That particular test uh, detects uh, microscopic bleeding in the stool. It's it's not uh, blood that you can see. It's not bright red blood. You actually can't see it. It's microscopic. That's why it's called occult. And that bleeding, that microscopic bleeding or occult bleeding, uh, can be from a cancer. It can be from something else, and that's why you need a colonoscopy to check it out to to figure out if it is a cancer or not. Now, what percentage of people who are eligible for this screening actually take it? Well, right now, our participation rates, for example, for the Ontario Breast Screening Program, it's around 61 or 62 percent. But that sounds pretty good to me. It's pretty good, but when you think about it, about two-thirds of women in the target age group are not up-to-date with screening. So they've either had a, a mammography 
more than two years ago, or they haven't had one at all. What is the profile of uh, women who don't get screened in terms of income, education, that kind of thing? We've done some work to look at this. It turns out that, in general, uh, the under or never screened populations tend to be less affluent, lower in education, and to some extent, they tend to be uh, immigrants to Canada. We think a lot of it relates to awareness. And again, that's why the letters of invitation to participate. And do you believe that a letter is the right way to reach them? Well, we don't think it's the only way that we need to, uh, to do this. But for sure, there's good evidence, scientific evidence, that if you invite uh, people to participate, the rates of participation do go up. Let's go back to the other two screening programs. What's yes. the take-up rate for them? Well, the take-up rate for the cervical screening program is, is a little bit higher than it is for the breast screening program, but it's, it's not what it needs to be. It's about 70% or so of women in the province. Still, about 30% of women in the target age group are not up to date with screening for cervix cancer. And that's important because we know that when women are diagnosed with cervix cancer, they tend to be women who either have not been screened at all or are overdue for screening. Mm-hmm. And what about the colorectal screening? What's the participation so rate? Colorectal screening, about 52% of people in the target age group, men and women, uh, are uh, up to date with screening. So, you know, we've moved this participation rate up, but it's, it's lagging the other two, as you can see. Probably because it sounds unpleasant. Well, perhaps, but also I think that uh, it, it's a more recent screening program. You know, the Ontario Breast Screening Program has started in 1990, and uh, the Colon Cancer Check Program has uh, only started six years ago. Do you have statistics on uh, how many cancers are found through screening programs and how, at what stage they're found? Well, the cancer detection rate, I'll say for colorectal cancer, for every 1,000 persons that does one of the stool blood tests, the fecal lookup blood tests, we, about 1.5, on average, 1.5 people will be found to have a cancer. But with the breast screening program, I think it's four or five per thousand. And is it worth it for, the, for that number of... De- oh, definitely worth it. Um, the cancers are detected at an earlier stage than they would be if they came to light without screening. Uh, we know that. People with a screen-detected cancer, they tend to be um, at an earlier stage when they're detected. Mm-hmm. And earlier stage means there are more treatment options in general, more treatment options, and uh, a greater chance of having a very good uh, long-term survival. Okay. Dr. Linda Rabinek, thank you so much for joining us. Not at all, Libby. Thanks so much, and uh, have a good weekend. These screening programs are designed for people with average risk. There are different protocols for those with increased or high risk. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. This week, the federal government made a major financial investment in the fight against dementia and Alzheimer's disease. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Mimi Lowy-Young, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. There was a big boost to the fight against Alzheimer's disease this week. Ottawa hosted a global dementia legacy event where experts gathered to discuss how to accelerate development of new treatments and technologies. And in Montreal, the government announced a new 
$55 million initiative that will bring together 340 researchers from across the country. They will focus their work on how to delay the onset of dementia, how to prevent it, and how to help patients, their families, and caregivers. I reached Mimi Lowy-Young, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Our role as the Alzheimer's Society of Canada is that we're a partner Mm -hmm. uh, financially, and we have identified some priorities that we want the researchers to focus on. Firstly, for the, the researchers to look at building capacity in, in terms of training new researchers. Secondly, to make sure that the knowledge that we learn gets shared uh, from the work of the researchers, knowledge that gets shared between the researchers, the researchers and the public, the researchers and the decision makers. Another one of our priorities as the Alzheimer's Society of Canada is to ensure that um, people with dementia and their families have a say in the, in the research questions and help define what are some of the critical research questions they want answered from their perspective. Do I understand this correctly? What we have now is the pot of money to do this work, but the strategy, the actual strategy, is yet to come. Yes, uh, they, we still don't have a national dementia plan. Uh, when we have been uh, working with government towards achieving a national dementia plan, we've, we've often said that um, research is a very critical element and, of course, comes under the, is, is part of the mandate of the federal government to support and fund research. The focus of the funding for, for the five years is for the research. But is that the strategy or is the strategy something else? Well, as I said, we, we still are, are hoping and working with government to uh, pull together a national dementia plan with research being one of the critical components. So that's why we're so pleased that we're actually seeing one component of the plan being uh, realized. What are the other components of the plan? The, the other components are um, greater support for uh, caregivers, um, the uh, standardization of education for people delivering care for individuals with Alzheimer's disease and dementia, raising public awareness about the disease and reducing stigma um, of the disease uh, in the country. What has to happen to make, to make that a reality? What um, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada has proposed to government is to establish the Canadian Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia Partnership, which would bring the, together the researchers, the provincial governments, the provincial Alzheimer's societies, industry, and uh, people with the disease to actually create this comprehensive plan that, I, that I'm talking about and then be able to define how money needs to be allocated to, to realize the various components. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is just the research piece. This is, this is the start of the research piece, absolutely. And, uh, and it's a great start. Is there an ongoing process where you hope to get the other parts of the plan in place? Absolutely. We continue to have conversations with, with the government and uh, know that this is a very important part. If, if we're really going to make a dent on the amount of money that we're spending a year on uh, indirect and direct costs for Alzheimer's and dementia of $33 uh, billion, uh, we need to start moving now because really um, dementia and Alzheimer's disease is now considered a public health crisis, not just an issue. It, it is becoming a crisis worldwide, and really dementia and Alzheimer's disease is everybody's business. 
September is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of our favorite artists here at Zoomer Radio celebrated his birthday earlier this week. In just a moment, we'll return with a chart topper from Michael Buble. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Alan Alda, Carol Burnett, Brian Dennehy, Mia Farrow, Martin Sheen, and Candace Bergen are among the rotating legendary actors in a Broadway revival of A.R. Gurney's Love Letters. The play was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1990 and is told through an exchange of letters over 50 years between two friends. Love Letters is at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. The Art Institute of Chicago is commemorating the 100th anniversary of Saul Steinberg's birth. He had one of the most remarkable and varied careers in post-war American art. Steinberg is best known for the covers and drawings that appeared in The New Yorker for nearly six decades. To London, England, where a new incarnation of Lord of the Dance is on stage. Michael Flatley directs and stars. It's at the London Palladium. And in Tokyo, The Sounds of Water is a visual and auditory experience at the Yamatani Museum of Art. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This week, Canadian crooner Michael Bublé celebrated his 39th birthday. And although he's not quite a Zoomer, he is one of our favorite artists here at Zoomer Radio. In fact, the new AM740 was one of the first radio stations to play his music when he was a fresh face on the scene. We've since watched him become an international superstar with numerous chart-topping hits and music awards. Right now, we'll hear a track from his 2005 album, It's Time. It's the album that brought him his international success. Here is Save the Last Dance. You can dance, every dance with the guy who gives you the eye, let him hold you tight. You can smile, every smile for the man who held your hand beneath the pale moonlight. But don't forget who's taking you home And in whose arms you're gonna be So darling, save the last dance for me That was Michael Buble with Save the Last Dance, a recording from his 2005 album, It's Time. Buble celebrated his 39th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. Join us next week. We'll explore the financial implications of what is already a difficult time, becoming widowed. See you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. 
This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.